Come on, can we give God praise for that? It's good to see you all this morning. You can be seated. If this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. And the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It's a remarkable thing to look back and think about all of the things that God has done in our midst, the way that lives have been changed and marriages restored and people like Kevin getting baptized. And um, we are full of gratitude this morning. The Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, he said that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and then the pastors and the teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and that we'd all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure of the stature of the fullness of God. And I love the order that he puts there. It's the apostles first and then prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And I think that that's intentional for Paul that the apostolic gift is the gift that goes first. It's the gift that sees ahead of time where there are opportunities for the kingdom to take root. And then all of the other gifts behind it and the body of Christ is filled up. And the truth is, none of us would be sitting in this room this morning, none of the fellowship that we've experienced, the redemptive power of God that we've experienced over the last couple years, would have been possible apart from what I think is the apostolic gift of Pastor Brady Boyd, who saw ahead of time that there needed to be a congregation on the east side of the city and had the vision for it before any of us were thinking about it. So uh, I'm personally so grateful for this man and his leadership and all that he's invested in us as a family and all that he's made possible for us as a congregation. So ladies and gentlemen, would you give a warm New Life East welcome to Senior Pastor Brady Boyd. Thank you, buddy. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am I'm honored to be here today. This is an exciting day, two years anniversary. You know, we used to call it the terrible twos. But I'm just going to pray over you today that this is not going to be the terrible twos. It's going to be a terrific twos for all of you. So, Pastor, uh, I remember uh, talking to Pastor Andrew and Mandy the first time. And I said, hey, I want you to consider something. I want you to just leave room in your heart that God may be about to position you into a congregational leader out east. And, you know, they, had, they were doing great work at North. And they were doing great work. We loved them. We didn't want them to leave. But we just began to sense that the Holy Spirit was getting them ready. And it wasn't easy. And we had to wrestle it to the ground. And it was a thus saith the Lord to be here. And I want you to know this. The, the, the congregations that the Lord blesses and has been blessing for 2,000 years are the congregations who are willing to go by faith when God says go. And that's what you did. Many of you left a comfortable place at New Life North. You, you had your own gray chair there in the, in the North Auditorium. You, you knew where the living room was in the theater. And you knew all the language there. And you heard the Lord, just as Andrew and Mandy say, go and I will bless you. It's the call of Abraham. It's this first, first hero of the Bible is Abraham, right? Who says, I'll go wherever you say, Lord. I'll go to a land that you're going to show me. And, and that's the story of the people of God for 2,000 years. And I just want to say thank you for your boldness, for your courage, for leaving something familiar 
and coming into a, uh, an elementary junior high gym with a scary bear on the back of the wall and, and saying, I see God at work doing something here, and I want to say thank you. Thank you for saying yes. And thank you, Andrew and Mandy, for being bold, for loving uh, this congregation, for shaping and forming this congregation. Let me just say this. Uh, you may thank you for the kind words, but it does not take a rocket scientist to look at Andrew and Mandy and say, whatever they do, they're probably going to be successful. I mean, they really are just terrific people, and I love all of you. I love your family, and thank you for saying yes and for coming out here, right? Amen. Can we just thank the Lord for all he's done? I also realized when I walked up here, I'm dressed like Johnny Cash. I have no idea why I'm dressed in all black. I think I... I, I, you know, my wife sleeps in a little bit. I get up early. I think I just got dressed in the dark and just forgot to put on anything other than black. So you can probably only see my teeth up here, right? <laughs> Hopefully you can see my teeth. <laughs> All right, turn in your Bible to Exodus 32, second book of the Bible. We're going to be in Exodus 32. And we're going to be in Exodus 34. And we're in a series of messages, which I have just really enjoyed preaching up north about God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Pastor Andrew, I know, has been taking you through the same types of scriptures, helping you understand the roles of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the beautiful Trinitarian God that we worship and serve, and his three identities. And, um, and today we're going to talk about this interaction. I'm going to show you a story that you, if you grew up in church, you're probably familiar with the story of Moses going to the Holy Mountain and getting the Ten Commandments. I'm going to show you something about this story that many of you may not have heard. So let me ask you a question, all the people in the room. How many of you were the kid growing up in your house that you broke stuff? Come on, all the haphazard children in the room. It's usually the, like the, the, the last born. The first born are way too responsible. The middle children are terrified to do anything wrong. It's the younger ones who feel like there are no boundaries. They just have permission to break everything in the house. I remember uh, when I was little, my mom had got into making shadow boxes, those little shadow boxes. This is like 45 years ago, okay? Like there was, they were, she was like a pioneer shadow box maker. And she had this one in our living room that she had put a lot of time and effort into it. And my brother and I had been watching football on television and decided that a game needed to break out in the living room. Now, our house was so small that the living room was the 50-yard line, but the end zone was the kitchen. And, and so I went back, Roger Staubach form, and delivered a pass. My brother was acting like he was Drew Pearson. And if you're, over the, if you're a Cowboys fan, you're over the age of 40, you know who those people are. The rest of you, it doesn't matter. All right, so the ball goes sailing through the living room, into the kitchen, off the tips of his hands, right into the shadow box. Bow! Tears. I mean, it goes into a million pieces on the, on, the, on the floor. And I can hear my mom, because the house is not that big, she heard the crash. And she came out, and I can still see her face, and I can feel her rage even this morning. In fact, I'm afraid she might walk in right now. That's how afraid I am of that look on her face. And, and she has since, many times in the last 50 years, apologized for her outburst of anger. Uh, but that's exactly what happens in this story. All right, let's keep reading this. You're going to see this story play out. And you're going to see a God respond to the human shenanigans in a way that might surprise you. Genesis, Exodus chapter 32. So Moses, think about this. Moses is at the top of the mountain having one of the most holy moments in human history. 
God himself took two stone tablets. God made the stone tablets. God himself with his own finger wrote out the Ten Commandments and handed these tablets to Moses. Those are priceless. Indiana Jones has been looking for those tablets in five movies, okay? He has not found it. This is a very important tablet. So Moses, with these tablets that God made and God inscribed, heads down to the mountain only to find the people of Israel in all-out debauchery, okay? Listen to this, verse 30, uh, ver- chapter 32, verse 19. So it was, as soon as he came down near the camp, he saw the golden calf. So while Moses is getting instructions from God, the people down below have turned their hearts away from God. And they were before a golden calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. (laughs) Out of anger, he could not, when he saw the sin of the people... He responded in anger and with violence in throwing down the tablets. So while God is speaking to Moses, the people below are, are, are building this golden calf to worship. And in an outburst of anger, Moses breaks the tablets. Now, if you know what happened after that, judgment comes to the people of Israel. It was awful. They, they paid a, a, an unbelievable price for their, their sin. God comes and he, does, he deals strongly with the people of Israel because they, had, they, had, they were an outright rebellion. They had walked away from the goodness of God and no longer trusted in his provision. In fact, they were looking now to a golden calf for their provision. So after all that is said and done, I'll let you go back and read the in-between parts of the story on your own. God, Moses gets an, an email, another invitation come back up to the mountain. I want to continue our conversation. But this time, instead of me going to all the work and the trouble to prepare two blank stone tablets, I want you to make your own stone blank tablets, and I want you to haul them up to the top of the mountain and wait for me there. How many of you have ever been called into the principal's office? Come on, this is right down the hallway. You know, if, if not, some of you walked by the principal's office today and you got a knot in your stomach because that's where you spent most of your middle school years is right down the hallway probably. That's what's happening in Moses' life. Moses, and I want you to think about this just for a moment. Moses had the perfect tablets. He destroyed them out of his anger. And by the way, this is a story of all of our lives. God blesses us. God provides for us, and then we mess it up. That's my story. God provides for me, God blesses me, and somehow I messed it up. And then God says, will you bring your blank offering, will you bring your blank tablets back into my presence? See, some of you walked in this morning with some empty tablets in your hands because the ones they gave you last week you already broke. Come on, everybody in the room. You walked out of here with something good in your heart last week. And you're walking back in this morning with some blank tablets in your hands. You go, well, I messed that up. I didn't have a good week. I'm smiling like I had a good week. 
but I did not have a good week. Now then, how do you think God is going to respond to you this morning holding your blank tablets that you've had to create with your own strength and your own effort? Let's find out what God does with Moses, because that's probably going to answer the question for what God's going to do with us. Exodus 34, verse 4, so Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones, but they weren't as good as the first ones because God made the first ones. And he, and he went up on Mount Sinai. Now, I don't, I've been to Mount Sinai. This is like walking the incline with two 50-pound rocks in your hand. Moses was fit. He's, Charles, Charleston Heston got it right. That guy was ripped. That's why they chose Charleston Heston and not Dom DeLuise to play Moses. <laughs> that is real old. I'm throwing some old school names out at you today. All the people under 40 are Googling right now. Who is Dom DeLuise? <laughs> I just want to throw you off just a bit. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. God comes. I want to pause here just for a moment. I want you to notice that Moses did not have to do anything but approach God in order for God to approach him. This is the good news of the Bible, by the way. The creation story actually starts with a God coming near to us, choosing to make his holy dwelling with us. Before we're able to make our dwelling with him, God says, well, I'm going to settle in among my people first, and I'm going to pray they're going to choose me as their Lord. That's the great risk that God's taking with all of us. So he comes, and the Lord came down in the cloud, and he stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, and he passed in front of Moses. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Now, this is God, for the first time in the Bible, going to elaborate descriptions of himself to another human being. Now, God has spoken in the Bible before, but to this point, God has said things in the Bible. God has even hinted at his character, his nature, his immutable traits. But in this passage of Scripture is the most detailed, most, most profound explanation of God to human beings. He says, I am compassionate and gracious God. I am slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness, and I maintain my love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And a lot of people, uh, I've, I've preached this message before, and I had a guy walk up to me and say, Pastor Brady, when are you going to talk to us about the punishing God? I want to hear more about the God that wrecks this world and cleanses this world. He just went into all this. This is about two or three weeks ago. He was really, now listen, of everything I just read, I, I said to him, why are you fascinated with that one particular thing? When I just told you that what God said about himself, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. Oh yeah, and by the way, I'm not going to leave the wicked unpunished. That was the thing that most fascinated this guy. And then as I got to talking to him, I realized his marriage is a mess. His children aren't talking to him. His whole life has fallen apart. And I said to him, it might be that you've been fixating on the wrong part of God and you have actually been representing the wrong part of God to the people around you. What you fixate on about God, you will represent to God to other people. 
So if you're fascinated with the angry God, it's possible you're always going to be angry. I'm fascinated with the good God who does punish unbelie- the wicked, but I'm not fixated on his judgment. I'm infatuated with his goodness. Maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He is a just God. He punishes the children, the children of the sin of their parents to the third and the fourth generation. Now, this, this particular story is important in the life of Israel because at this point they have to decide, can they trust God to continue walking with them through a very evil wilderness? And they're not in the promised land yet. And these were wicked nations that they were going to have to face. They, they, they were turbulent times ahead of them. And God was saying, I need you to make a decision. Are you going to follow the lifeless golden calf that you fashioned for yourselves? Or will you trust in a God who is compassionate and gracious, who is slow to anger, who is abounding in love and faithfulness, who maintains his love to thousands? And I'll leave that up for a moment because what he was saying was he was actually expanding the tent pegs here with that statement. What he was saying was what you hope is that God only loves people like you. Why, actually, the Hebrew language is here is like, listen, actually, God, I'm going to prove that my love actually expands further than you think. And I'm suspecting, I'm sure there are some people in the room today who are either Jewish or have a Jewish heritage, but I'm guessing that we're about 98% Gentile in the room. So this particular passage, the reason all of us are in this room today is because somewhere along the way, he chose to expand this goodness and love past the nation of Israel and started including and grafting in a bunch of Gentile knuckleheads that needed salvation. All the Gentiles in the room, can we say amen that we got included? Maintaining love to thousands and to generations of people. And he says, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, he punishes the guilty. That's why when the writer of the 119th Psalm, when he's talked about God. He says, he says, God, you are good. Listen to this. You, you are good and you do good. And that's two different things. See, sometimes an evil man may wake up on the right side of the bed and do a kind thing for a person. Just because you're able to do a good thing does not mean you are a good human being. What God was saying is my nature is unchangeable, irreversible, always will be good. I can't be anything other than good. I am built by goodness. I am built for goodness. Every cell of my celestial body is goodness. And not only am I good, I do good. Because it's also possible for a really good human being to be a jerk. Now think about this for a moment. If I'm following a God who I cannot trust to be good, maybe he's all wise and all knowing. Let's think about this for a moment. A lot of unbelievers are asking these questions. Some of you that may have walked in the room are asking these questions. If God is all wise and all knowing and has all knowledge, but he's not good, I can't follow him. Because he, 
What if God, though, is all-powerful? He has the ability to change and shape and make things, but he's not good. Seems like he could be a tyrant. So the first question we have to ask, in fact, the first thing, I see a lot of moms and dads with little littles in the room today. Let me tell you what the first thing you have to teach your children about God. Not that he's wise, not that he's powerful, not that he does miracles, and all those things are important. The first thing you have to teach your children about God is that he is good. Because it won't matter to your kids that he can do miracles or has all knowledge or all power if he's not good. But if he is indeed good, now I can trust him for miracles and power and knowledge. But it's the goodness of God that changes. It's the goodness of God that led all of us to salvation. What I did say to the guy who was angry with me, because he wants me to preach more on the judgment of God, I said, listen, you know, it's the kindness of the Lord that led me to repentance. I didn't follow Jesus because I was afraid of an angry father. I followed Jesus because a good father sent Jesus to me to rescue me from my own sin and actually to spare me from the anger and judgment that was coming to the world. That's why I began to follow Jesus. And so, so what happens is, is if God is good, we can approach him. This is going to sound super simple. If God is good, we can approach him. If God isn't good, you better run from him. New Life Church, I would run from a God with that much power if he was not good. That's not a God I want to come near to if he's not good. But because he is good, that's why I could come in this morning with my own empty tablets because I broke the other ones. That's why I walked up the hill this morning with my empty tablets, knowing what I was going to encounter. You see, I have 30-plus years of coming near to this God, and that's a benefit. And I've found in 30-plus years of coming near to this God that he's a good God. And when I have not gone, when I've had a bad week or when I've had a good week, I can still bring my empty tablets to the top of the holy hill and I can lift them up before the Lord and I'm going to encounter a God who wants to write something new on my life. So I want you to go now to Exodus 34. Because our enemy wants us to believe God's always angry. Because if we believe that he's angry at us, it'll keep you away from him. This is what the enemy wants to do in the room today. In fact, some of you are wrestling. Well, this is uh, just the pastor. It's our two-year anniversary. He wants to give a happy message. He's trying to make us feel good about ourselves. I'm not doing any of that. I'm here today to wrestle to the ground a lie of the enemy that's keeping many of us from growing up and maturing and actually coming close to God. You think your behavior this week has, has made God mad at you. Your behavior this week has actually just opened up a door for repentance. And repentance is simply walk, choosing to walk through a door, choosing to walk closer to him, to open the door and walk into God. The book of Revelation actually puts that in reverse order. The book of Revelation says he stands at your door and he's knocking. He actually is the one that wants to come in. And listen, I've got really good news for you. Jesus has been walking into messy houses for a really long time. Your house is not too messy for Jesus to want to come in. 
Now go to Exodus 34, because we're going to see what happens after Moses has his second encounter with God. It says, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone like shown while he talked with me. This is, this is something that Neutrogena can't give you. Mary Kay doesn't sell this. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm assuming it. <laughs> so when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. In other words, listen, there was a noticeable physical response that he had when he encountered a good God. Something spiritual had happened in him, but it manifested physically. Listen, I can tell, and and I've been a pastor a long time, and one of the gifts that the Lord's given me is I can read people really quickly. I'm a student of people's faces, and I can tell the people in my church who have spent way too much time on cable news versus the people who have actually had a prayer life that week because their face is different. They either walk in angry or they walk in full of faith. And they both live in the same world. Some of them live in the same house. But the person in the house who decided to turn off cable news and put their face on the couch and call upon the name of the Lord, they just look differently than the one who kept the TV on and believed everything they were hearing. Because your physical body will begin to manifest what you believe. Your physical body will begin to manifest the God that you put your hope in. And this is true all throughout Scripture. If you want to do a beautiful word study this week, look up the word countenance in the Bible. Countenance. It's all throughout the Bible. Old Testament, Hebrew Testament, New Testament. The word countenance. And see how many times Jesus talked about it, the apostles talked about it, the prophets talked about it, because they know there was something physically different about a people who had come in contact with this God that I'm describing. In August of 1988, I was a pagan. I was a pagan. My, listen, I've told this story. I don't think my father-in-law is watching this particular broadcast. He watches me when I preach at North, and he's a retired police captain. So I've never told this story because he would hear it. He's not watching this today, I don't think. But on my first date, when I picked up Pam, the first lady of the church, I had a bag of marijuana under my seat. And on my way home, I burned one all the way home. And it, but when I pulled up in her driveway, I had illegal drugs under my seat, and I was picking up the police captain's daughter. You don't think I've come a long, long way. When I tell you that I am the prodigal that was in the pig pen, and the Lord brought me to my senses, I know what I'm talking about. And in August of 1988, something radically happened in my life. On a drive home, dropping off my now 32-year wife, I dropped her off. I drove home. Back, I took the long way home. The Lord met with me in my pickup truck. I pulled over. I said yes to Jesus, and I've never stopped following him ever since. That was on a Saturday night in August of 1988. Now, when I got up the next morning, to my mother and father's shock and surprise, I got up. (laughs) That's a shock on a Sunday morning. Because they're early people. They're country people. They get up like 
4 a.m. You know, they're just early people. 5.30 is sleeping in. But I got up because I knew they were going to the early church service. And I said, Mom, I'm going to go to church with you today. And I walked into the kitchen and my mom went, whoa, what happened to you last night? And I said, what are you talking about? She said, your face is different. And from that point on, my mom said, I knew at that point that's when you'd given your life to Christ because something physically had happened in my mind, in my body, because I'd had an encounter with a good God the night before. So every Sunday, I know this happens out here at East the way it does at North, almost every Sunday, we, we pray what we call the blessing of Aaron over you. And it's been done in the church for years, but I want to read this to you, and I want you to see something you may have never seen. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 25, it said, The Lord bless you and keep you. Listen to this. I hope you read this differently from this sermon on for the rest of your life. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord, listen, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We do this at the end of the service because that's the last thing we want you to remember as you leave church. The last thing I want echoing in your mind and heart as you walk out of here is this. The world we're returning to may not be good. I cannot guarantee you that you're going to walk out those doors back into the arms of a good world. I cannot guarantee that for you. I wish I could. There will be a day when Christ returns that I can guarantee you we're going to walk back out into a good world. But until Christ returns, I can't guarantee you the goodness of the world will envelop you. But our God is good. And he wants good things for each of us. And the same encounter that changed the face of Moses is the same encounter that Jesus wants to have with every single person in the room. This is why I've come today to tell you, your life can be changed when you make a choice to come to the feet of a holy and good God. And when we surrender ourselves in these places of worship, not only is our internal soul rejuvenated changed our physical body. Do you know why we're called ambassadors and witnesses? It's because when we go back out into the world, we should be remarkably different. Our lives, I'm not talking about a cheesy, cheap smile. I'm not talking about fake happiness. I'm just saying that our countenance, the way we carry ourselves, the tone of our language, the way we greet one another, the way we serve one another, the way, the way we help one another. Something remarkable has happened on the inside of us, and that manifests itself out in the way we put our hands and lives and feet into the lives of other people. Amen? So today I want you to stand with me, and I want us to take a moment to surrender ourselves today. I'm going to read you a passage out of Hebrews chapter 4, but I want you to stand as I read this over you, and in just a moment we're going to sing a song and we're going to come to the table of the Lord, but we're not in a hurry at this moment right now. In fact, I got through a little early because I want us to linger here just for a second. 
New Life East, I am so proud of you. You have been a witness, not just to the eastern part of our city, but you've scattered out all over our city and you've been ambassadors and witnesses. And I've come this morning to remind you that the reason we started New Life East is because we see a great harvest fill. And I said that in the video. I don't know if you caught that, but it was really the word of the Lord that gave, gave to Andrew and I both. I refuse to start congregations just to make it more convenient. We're not, we didn't do this to make it more, so you wouldn't have to drive as far. And with gas prices, I guess it is a blessing that you don't have to drive as far. But the point is, the reason we started New Life East is that we see this area of town is the fastest growing area in our, in our whole city. More houses being built between here and Falcon than in any other place in our city right now. And thousands more coming. Those are not just houses, those are families. Single moms, retired military people, young families, middle-aged families, black, white, and brown people, young, old, rich, and poor. They're all coming. And the one thing they all have in common is they need an encounter with a good God. And guess who gets to introduce them to this good God? We do. That's our responsibility. By the work of the Holy Spirit, we get to go and be ambassadors and witnesses to the world around us. And I'm believing this place is going to be packed to the gills, and we're going to have the resources available to put you in a permanent location, and the Lord's going to establish his footprint in New Life East because he, and there is the only reason, there's only one reason why God would do any of that. He really, really, really loves people. That's why he would want a church out here, because he loves people. So Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 14, we're going to read three verses, and then I'm going to pray. And I want you to hear this as a prayer over your life, over my life. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted just as we are, yet was without sin. Now here's what I want you to remember today. Let us, in fact, read it out loud with me. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father in heaven, we are here today, and we've climbed to the top of the mountain, and we give you our empty tablets. The Lord pass before us today and show us your goodness. And Lord, as we come down off this mountain and back into a world that's not always good, I pray you would lift up your countenance upon these people and upon me. Make your face shine upon us. Father, we are grateful today that when we come before you, we find grace. We find help in our time of need. So to come now and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Forgive us of the sins that we've committed, and we, we receive it. We believe it. You've already chosen to forgive us, and we receive that today. We receive your grace today. And we ask it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. New Life East, let's sing this together. In just a moment, Pastor Andrew is going to come and lead us to the table of the Lord.
we give God praise this morning, church? The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. The psalmist said of the nations, the idols of the nations, he said that they have eyes but they cannot see, and they have ears but they cannot hear, they have mouths but they can't speak, and they have feet but they cannot walk. And then he said that those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. It's one of the immutable laws of the universe that we become like what we worship. And if we worship the dead and lifeless images of the nations, we become dead and lifeless. And if we worship an angry God, we become angry people. But if we worship the good God revealed in Jesus Christ, then we become as God is, which is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says that we all with unveiled faces, we reflect the glory of the Lord and we are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And as we come to the table, what we're doing every single week, week in and week out, when we come to the table, is we are facing the good God who's been revealed in Jesus, the God who does not break us upon the altar of our own sin, but instead he allows himself to be broken upon the altar of judgment. God enters into our stead. He stands in our place. And where judgment should have fallen on us, it falls on him so that we can be saved. Can we get an amen in the house this morning? And so we remember, Lord Jesus, that on the night that you were betrayed, after you had given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it. Can we break it this morning? And you said, take it all of you and eat. This is my body. It is broken for you. Do this whenever you eat in remembrance of me, the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ, broken for us to make us whole. Can we take it together, church? And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Where your blood should have been shed, mine was shed. Where your life should have been spilled, mine was spilled for the life of the world. This is the new covenant, he says, in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. The new promise, the new promise that God is our God forever and that his life is giving us life. Church, can we take the cup together? Amen. And let's respond by singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise God, Son Amen. Hallowed be your name in all the earth, O Lord our God, from whom all blessings flow, and we return the blessing back to you. We pray this morning that you would make us a people that spread the blessing out into the world. And so New Life East, lift up your hands like this and receive this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come forward this morning. If you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. Remember, we've got Hertz Donuts in the Fellowship Hall of Connect Central, so you can head out there and enjoy some fellowship time with one another. Can we give it up one more time to Pastor Brady for bringing the word to us this morning? Good to see you at New Life East. We love you. Hang out for a bit in Connect Central, and we'll see you real soon.